Well, good morning. It is good to see everyone, and just looking right now, the well, it depends on which way you're looking. Your, your right side, my left side, is a, a little off balance, so if you want to balance out the room and, and spread out a little more, you're welcome to, but it is good to see you on this, sad to say, hot um, early June day, but it is air-conditioned inside, and we are grateful for that, and we're thankful to be here together to worship here at Cross Timber, and we're glad to see you. So welcome in the name of the Lord. It is wonderful to sing praises to Jesus and to just to start with such an upbeat song that reminds us of the goodness of the Lord. If you are a guest this morning, we're so glad to have you here or have you back. If you're regular folks, it's good to see you, and we are just so excited about um, spending time together as we read scripture as we pray, as we sing, and we look at God's word. Um, just a, a reminder, um, if you um, have any prayer requests or would like to share any information, there's a little card in our bulletin that you can fill out and just drop that in the offering plate in a couple of minutes when the um, gentlemen um, come around to receive our offering, and those will go to the church office. And as always, if you do share a prayer request and you'd like us to keep that private, just indicate on there by checking the box. Um, we're going to read from a few moments in Zephaniah chapter 3, and I thought I would tell you now to give you a little bit of a head start in finding Zephaniah. If you get um, to Matthew and back up, um, you can find it. The last four books of the Old Testament go HZ, HZ. And so Zephaniah is right there. Um, you have Zechariah, and then you back up a little bit, and you get the, the wonderful little book of Haggai, and then you get Zephaniah. But let me just um, start off by saying... Um, our summer Bible camp is coming up soon. It starts June the 19th, which is a week from tomorrow. It'll be in the mornings from 9 to 11.30. Um, there are still opportunities if you would like to help. Um, you can see Jeff, and Jeff's actually going to be making his way up here in a minute to let us know about some things concerning our, our students. But also wanted to remind you that if you want to invite folks, there are several of these cards that have all the information on there, and you can just hand it to them. Here's the information. And if they are technical type folks, they can scan the QR code with the dinosaur in the center there. It takes them right to the registration page. They can pre-register their child for vacation Bible school. It's not required, but it is helpful. And just tell um, neighbors, friends, grandchildren, children, let them know it's from four years old through fifth grade. It's coming up, and it'll be a wonderful time to study God's Word together. And we will be um, looking at really the main idea that following Jesus um, the theme says changes the game, but um, I like to say that following Jesus changes everything. And so if you um, know of, of children around, be sure and invite them and tell their parents to let them be a part of that. But now Jeff's going to come and tell us um, a couple things just about our students. I told Rusty if i got to walk from back there, I need walk-up music, like baseball. You know, so I'm walking up. A little bit of entertainment, right? Um, real quick, just the rest of the month, the youth schedule. Tonight we have our normal meeting four to six next week though we won't meet but we will help decorate for vbs i'm not sure if that's going to happen right after church or if that's going to happen later that evening i gotta talk to shelly about that um and then the last sunday of the month the 25th we're going to be swimming at the stanley's at 6 p.m so that way you guys know what's going on um and everybody knows what's going on we like to think everybody knows what's going on but sometimes i wonder if i know what's going on so it's always good to have those those reminders. In fact, you can see some of those reminders in the bulletin, our regular um, weekly scheduled activities. Sometimes they, um, they become so common that we don't give them 
um, all the credit, but just to remind you, during the week, we have men's breakfast tomorrow morning, 6.30 at the Elk Diner. Um, Wednesday, we have our 11 o'clock Bible study here, where we'll, um, we study God's Word, we pray, and we share lunch together, and then we have prayer meeting next Wednesday night, starting at 6.30. So you can see that in other dates and times in the bulletin. But I just wanted to highlight those. I'd like us to read this morning from the Old Testament. Hopefully by now you've had a chance to find Zephaniah. If you're one of those folks that use your phone, it's a lot easier. You can kind of, kind of cheat. But I'd like us to read starting in verse 14, and we'll read through the end of the book. Zephaniah writes these words, speaking as a prophet from the Lord. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let your hands grow let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Gentlemen, will you come? Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly... Father, we give you thanks and praise for your greatness and for your provisions, for your mercies that fail not. They are new every morning. And Lord, we need your grace each day. We pray that you would always remind us that you're there ready whenever we need it to supply our needs. Father, we thank you and rejoice this morning to come before you and uh, just to tell you that we love you and we thank you for this church and ask you to bless us with this church and and outreach and Father for each one of us that we might gain uh, strength and encouragement today because we're gathered together in your name and Lord we thank you that you use part of these offerings and uh, to uh, carry your word all around the world to those people that have never heard. We pray that even today you would bless your word where it is preached and multiply your blessings there and bring in others to know you. We thank you now for Rusty, Lord, and ask you to bless him and the message he brings this morning. And you bless your honor and glory and for each of our benefits and edification. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.
Would you stand and sing with us this morning?
power can't be questioned or contained with humble faith. He rules the earth and heavens. His glory knows no measure or refrain. And His bursting past and borderlines of space. Without confusion, this power can't be questioned or contained. 
Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse number 5, is where we'll, we'll be in just a few moments as we read together. But let me just start by asking you a question. Do you see Jesus this morning? Now, it's not a physical vision question. It's a question of faith. Do you see Jesus ruling and reigning as Lord over everything? Do you see Him as the one the Bible says is the author and finisher of the faith, the founder of our salvation. Do you see him as a merciful and faithful high priest, ready to help whenever needed? You see, how we see Jesus is a measure of our faith. And when we see Jesus, we behold the one who is the author of salvation and the great high priest who identifies with us. In fact, that's the the main point that I want us to think about this morning, that when we see Jesus, we behold or we look upon the one who is the author of salvation and the great high priest who identifies with us. Last week, we looked at the first part of chapter 2, and this morning we'll finish the chapter and we'll find in these verses the place God has intended for man, the person of Jesus and His work and the reason or the purpose of the Incarnation, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. But let's read these words together because it's honestly from the truth of these pages that I hope we gain our insight and that my words would just hopefully supplement that in some way. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5 For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are, who are sanctified have all have the one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him 
and again, Behold, I and the children of God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all that those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thank you, O Lord, for the privilege that we have to to open up your word together. We thank you for its timeless nature, for its truth that is without any error, and for its ability, because it's living, to speak life into our lives. And that's what we're asking this morning, Lord. Help the truth of your word speak life into our lives. Apply it to our hearts by your spirit, for your glory, and for our good. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, if you'll remember, we started chapter 2 and we were warned about the dangers of neglect and drifting. That if we fail to pay attention to our faith, our relationship with Jesus, that over time we will drift away from Jesus. And neglect over time leads to that drifting. Oh, because because God is so good and gracious, He has provided a remedy. He called it such a great salvation that while we are prone to drift, there is one who can keep us from drifting. One that we'll later see when we get there that the writer of Hebrews calls the anchor of our soul. And so after this pause to warn us against drifting, the author quickly goes back to the theme of Jesus is greater or better. And in this section, he's still emphasizing the fact that Jesus is better than angels. And so in these verses, we'll see, as I said earlier, what man's place is in the created order, what we should understand about the person of Jesus and why this thing called the incarnation matters. There's a little outline in your bulletin to help you work through this. And the first thing you see there is the place of man. And there's a quotation there from verse number 6, the beginning. What is man? What is man? It's a question that philosophers and thinkers have pondered since the very beginning. Who are we and why are we here? Many people have written and spoken about the truth. Others, just we just scratch our heads and wonder. But God clearly proclaims the truth. And so the writer here begins with a quotation from Psalm chapter 8, which is a psalm to the glory of God in creation. And he says it was testified somewhere. Now when he writes that, it's not like we would say, you know, somewhere in the Bible which means we don't know exactly where it was. No, it's an indication from the author that he assumes the writers know what he's talking about. So it's it's not something he can't remember. It's just something he assumes everybody already knows. 
And so from this psalm about the glory of mankind, as one writer said, he describes man sorry, sickly, a mass of mortalities, a map of miseries, a mixture or compound of dirt and sin, and yet God is mindful of him. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Now we have to understand that though we are sinners, that initially in the beginning of creation, God made man, and we were the crown jewel of all of his creation created the image of God. Genesis 1, 26, God speaking, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so maybe today you need to hear this, that you were created in God's image. You are unique, you are special, you are valued, and you are loved because you're made in the image of God and He loves you and He sent Jesus to die for you. But while man holds that special place, he also gives us a purpose and a responsibility. And the rest of verse 26, and let, Genesis 1, 26, and let them, man, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So out of all of creation, God chose human beings, not any other creature, to have dominion or to be over creation. We are God's stewards that are to manage and rule creation. And so that comes with responsibility. It also comes with privilege. And in that order, God made men just a little lower than the angels, the writer indicates, but he has crowned them with glory and honor. He has a great purpose. And He has given them a place of dominion. Everything is under their feet. But it doesn't take very long in Genesis for us to understand that that didn't last very long. You get to Genesis chapter 3 and you read about the fact that Adam and Eve sinned. They were disobedient and sin came into the world. That perfect relationship was broken and humans at that point became slaves to sin and the power of but we know the story, and we know that through Jesus, God made a way to restore man to their rightful place. That Jesus left heaven, came to earth as the perfect God-man. He laid aside temporarily His glory, the glory He had in heaven. He came to earth as a God, as God-man. He lived a perfect life. He suffered, was crucified, and raised to life. And you see in the, these verses, 5 through 8, this, this pattern that there was an exalted position, that there was a descent to something lesser, and then there is an ascent or a climbing back to glory and honor. And so when you look at these verses, you think, okay, are they talking about man or are they talking about Jesus? Because we come across this problematic phrase, son of man. And we've been trained, if we know our Bible and have learned the Bible, that when the word Son of Man comes up in the Old Testament, many times, most times, it's a reference to Jesus. It's talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. But it was also a way, depending on where the article was, if it was a Son of Man, it was just another way of saying a human being. But if it was the Son of Man, then it's talking about the person 
of Jesus. And so these particular verses are the cause of many differing opinions. Is this really about man, or is it about Jesus? Well, here is the um, compromise answer. It's both. Because if you look at the original context of Psalm chapter 8, it is speaking about man, human beings created by God. But the writer, as he does often in this book, takes those passages and applies them to the person of Jesus. And what you see is a wonderful interweaving of the truth of Scripture to show us that God had a place for man. Man blew it, we sinned, but God had a plan in Jesus to return us to a rightful place. How did he do it? He used the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, who left heaven, who suffered and died, but he rose again, and now he has ascended, and God has placed him at the place of honor and authority. So you see this dual meaning. God had a place for man. Man blew it, but then God had a plan in the person of Jesus. In verse 8, we find ourselves right now waiting for the final chapter to be written. We don't see everything in subjection to Him, but one day we will. When God wraps up all those loose ends in history, all things will be subject to Him and believers will rule and reign with Christ. When I think about the way that things will come out in the end, we may not understand it all, but it'll be like the end of a great novel. Those great writers throughout history, Charles Dickens, Jane Austen, you know, at the beginning, there's this introduction of characters, there's conflict, there's plot, and page after page, you're left wondering, how will it end? And at the end, you find that there is a conclusion, there's resolution. And God, in the end of all things, will have a resolution that will be clear, and we will find that the answer is Jesus. So in summary, what is man? Man's God's special creation object of his affection, a beneficiary of salvation, given dominion over creation, and through a relationship with, the Christ, with Jesus Christ, has the opportunity to be a joint heir with him. How in the world does this come about? Well, the writer is about to tell us. Because amidst the cloudiness and the confusion that life brings, we can have clarity when we see Jesus the person of Jesus. You see these words in verse 9. We see Him. Or we see Jesus. See, think about it for just a second. If we didn't have Christ, there would be no Christians. There would be no Christianity. We wouldn't have salvation. There would be no new life. And there would absolutely have no hope in this world. But in Christ, we have both a hope and a future, and when we see Jesus, we see the fulfillment of all of these things. Read verse 9, follow along with me. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We see him. That we see, we see Jesus become a man. 
We see Him suffer and die to taste death, meaning He really died and experienced the whole experience of death. And we see Him crowned with glory and honor. And then verse 10, we see Jesus, the one who is the founder of their and our salvation. It was God's plan. It was fitting, as the Scripture says, or it was right in God's eyes for Jesus to die on the cross. It was never a supplemental plan. There was never a plan B. It was the first and only option. And that truth about Jesus dying on a cross, Paul tells us, is a stumbling block to the Jews. Because they had no place in their religion for a Messiah that would suffer. And the Greeks, who were so wise, well, he says it was foolish to them. But Paul said to those God has called, he's spoken to, that see Jesus, it's the power and wisdom of God. And because of the death of Jesus on the cross, the author calls Jesus the one who is the founder of salvation. He's the one who originated. The word here can be the idea of someone who would be like a a trailblazer out in the wild frontier who blazes a trail for men and women to travel on or or someone who is hacking through the jungle with a machete to make a clear pathway. That while the relationship was broken, Jesus restored it and made a way back to God for man. Or you could also see it as the one who is the champion, the one who is the hero of the story who secured victory. And the goal of his death, the goal of his resurrection there in the verses is bringing many sons to glory. Jesus opened the way to the Father so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, both sons and daughters, have the right, the right of sonship to be heirs with Jesus. So don't get hung up on the language there. It says sons because he's talking about sonship, that right of being an heir, where we are entitled to everything Jesus has. It doesn't leave daughters out. It very much includes him as well. But he says it's not just a few. It's not just a handful. It's not just a a chosen number. But there are many. As John 1.12 reminds us, to as many as did receive him, Jesus, he gave the right to be called children of God. How many, as many as say yes to Jesus? How many will that be? Only God knows. And so he is the founder of salvation, and it says God has made him perfect through suffering. Another one of those phrases, you just kind of think, wait a minute. How could Jesus be made perfect if Jesus wasn't imperfect? What does Jesus need? Well, we have to understand that the word perfection, especially when it's used in Hebrews, means to bring something to its proper end or to completed. And so when the writer says Jesus was made perfect through suffering, Dr. Tommy Lee helps us. It means that he was fully obedient to God's mission for him, and he was also fully adequate to bring the children of God to glory. So his 
perfect obedience enabled him to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Why? Because he was the perfect, sinless, faultless God-man. To kind of get this idea of Jesus being the one who is the founder of salvation, I was thinking about um, my, my days back in, in Boy Scouts, and one of the things I enjoyed was they would have an orienteering course set up. And I always thought it was, it was very intriguing because, you know, we would have our compass that we would go by, and, um, and you know, those compasses would just get thrown in a backpack, stuck in a pocket, um, were, were harshly treated. But when you went to the orienteering course, you know, the, the scoutmaster or the director there would have a wooden box and they would open the wooden box and they would have the top of the line silver compass with the red lanyard. And you would get one. And you would get a map with a set of coordination points and it would give you a starting spot, several points along the way that would give you, you know, the number of steps you would take and the degrees you would walk in. And, and then hopefully you would end up at the right finish line. And the goal would be to have a perfect run. And sometimes it would be, you know, they would lay out something simple. You would just do a, you know, a, a, a rectangle or a star. Sometimes it would be multiple points. But the, the whole goal was to start out and to reach the right destination. Now, I think in those instances, a perfect run back in those days was probably next to impossible. These days with GPS, you could probably just land right on the spot. And it's probably not nearly as fun anymore. But if you think of that idea that there's a course out there for us and that Jesus completed it perfectly for us. And when he completed that, he made a way so that we could complete the course or get back to God and run the race God has set for us. So not only does he put us back in the right relationship, but he runs alongside us. His spirit is in us to help us to finish the race that he set aside for us. So he is the pioneer of our salvation. He's the one who initiated it. But also when we see Jesus, we see he who sanctifies. Look at verse number 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That by the shedding of his blood, Hebrews 13, 12, you can find there's a reference there. Jesus makes his people holy. We're holy because of the blood that was shed for us. And that means two things. First of all, it means we're set apart for God's special purpose. That means at the point of salvation, you are made holy. You are righteous in God's sight. But also, it indicates that there's an ongoing process that we are in the process of being made holy. We're declared holy, and then we spend the rest of our lives working to walk in holiness. And the writer tells us that Jesus, the one who makes holy, and those who are being made holy all have the same source. Or if you have the old NIV, it says they're of the same family, indicating a close connection, a union. And because of this union, we see Jesus, who is not ashamed to call them brothers or sisters. So Jesus is the older brother of every born-again believer. But he's not the mean, obnoxious older brother. He is the perfect older brother who lives up to his calling, and that is to look after, to lead, and to guide 
and to set an example for those who follow. And so there are many brothers and sisters. There's room for many more. And Jesus is not ashamed to call any of them his siblings. And the writer uses three more quotes from the Old Testament to emphasize this close relationship. The first one in verse 12 is from Psalm chapter 22, which begins, if you were to turn there, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's closely connected to Jesus and his suffering on the cross because those are the words he spoke as he was on the cross. And so any Jewish believer with an earshot hearing Jesus call out those words would have immediately known that he was referencing Psalm 22. And if you look at the words of Psalm 22, the first half is about the suffering of the Messiah. Oh, but the second part turns sharply to joy, trust, and praise. And in the quotation we have here, it's an invitation from Jesus for his brothers and sisters to join with him in praise. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, just linking that together, he goes to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17, to have make reference to this declaration of trust. I will put my trust in him. The only way for Jesus to operate while he was on earth was in trust and total obedience to the Father. And the only way for you and I to survive in this life is through trust and obedience to the Lord. And again, there in verse 13, he reads, he turns to the next verse, Isaiah verse chapter 8, verse 18. If you turn there and if you were to read, you find that Isaiah is speaking a word about his children, his own children. But here, the writer applies this to Jesus and the phrase, Behold, I and the children God has given me. So we're not just brothers and sisters. We are His children that God has given me. We are His special possession. And so we see Jesus who took on flesh and blood, died in our place so we could be a part of God's family. And He's not ashamed to call us brothers. How many of y'all have ever seen the uh, old black and white movie Boy's Town, Father Flanagan, or heard anything about Father Flanagan? I'd always heard about Boy's Town and I actually met a man who he and his wife served for three years as, um, as host parents at Boy's Town. I was just, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool, you know, to actually know them. Well, in 1918, a young boy named Howard Loomis was abandoned, left there on the doorsteps of Father Flanagan's home for boys. Now, Howard had polio. He wore heavy leg braces. Walking alone was a challenge. But when he had to go up or downstairs, it was next to impossible. So several older boys made it their job, their privilege to carry Howard up and down the stairs. And one day, Father Flanagan asked one of the boys, Reuben, if carrying Howard was hard. And Reuben replied, he ain't heavy, Father, he's my brother. And later on, that Logan, along with a photograph of this young man, Howard, being lifted by one of the boys, became 
slogan for Boy Scouts. And if you know your music, it was also a song by the Hollies. But you see, Jesus, our older brother, shared in our humanity. He's closely connected to us as his brothers and sisters. He's not afraid. He's not ashamed of us. He carries the weight of our sin. He carries us when we're weak. He is determined to carry us all the way home. And we're not a burden to him. Because he's our brother. And the purpose of the incarnation, it's the last point you see there, he had to be made like his brothers. The phrase appears in verse 17, but the thought runs all through verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, 18. And it, adds, it just begs the question, why and how was Jesus made to be like his brothers? Well, let's answer the how question. How? We call it the incarnation. John 1, verse 12 tells us, John chapter 1 actually says, um, you know, describing that little baby born in Bethlehem, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The writer says, since the children share in flesh and blood, you connect that with the phrase in the Old NIV, since children share in flesh and blood, He, Jesus too, shares in their humanity. So Jesus sharing in the humanity of human beings. That Jesus came to earth. He was 100% God and 100% man simultaneously. It's hard to understand. We believe it by faith and we are so grateful for it. And He came as man so that He, through His death, might destroy and deliver. They're in voices, verses 14 and 15. What is he there to destroy? The one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Now you may be thinking, okay, wait, wait, wait. Death and life, that's in God's hands, right? Well, again, the writer is helping us, is trying to explain that, you know, as a result of sin, death entered the world, and while man, Adam and Eve, blew it, it was Satan who was the tempter that offered the temptation. And so that death that we still suffer was a result of the temptation offered from the devil. And he uses the phrase, and the emphasis there is not on the power of Satan, but on the victory that Jesus has won by his death over death and over the devil. And so there's a destruction, but there's also a delivery, verse 15, what does he deliver us from? The fear of death. All men will die physically, but there's no need for those who are believers to fear it. Listen to this quote from Lane. A believer's fear of death no longer paralyzes and enslaves because Jesus has disabled death's master. Our champion has stormed the very gates of the enemy, opening wide the doors of captivity and pointing us to the path of freedom. So he came to destroy the power of death and deliver us from the fear of death. 
see in showing us that Jesus is greater than angels and that man is his special creations. Verses 16 and 17 show us that Jesus came to help men and women, not angels. With salvation offered to men, not to angels, so that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So Jesus didn't become like an angel because he wasn't saving angels. He became like you and I because he was to save us. And that was necessary because it allowed Jesus to become a merciful and faithful high priest. It's the first introduction, really, of the the idea of Jesus as the great high priest. And he'll expand that more, and we'll get into it later. But second, the incarnation was necessary for Jesus to make an atonement for the sins of mankind. The ESV says to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And the third reason is that since Jesus came as a man and was tempted and he suffered, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So he's setting the stage for this argument that will continue, this picture of Jesus that is painted so brilliantly that he is perfectly prepared. He is more than adequate to be our great high that he experienced everything that we face temptation, rejection, false accusation, suffering, pain moments of weakness, tiredness but he walked through it perfectly with dependence on God and because of that he has mercy toward human beings people like you and me and he's faithful in his service to God much more that we could say about it, and we will, but let me just say a couple of things before we we close. When God provided such a great salvation, that's the, the theme there, the thing that keeps us from drifting, He made Jesus the founder of salvation perfect through suffering. Or as Athanasius said, and many have said in some variants throughout the years, Jesus became what we are, that He might make us what he is. It's his suffering, the suffering of Jesus, Jesus' death that secured a place in God's family and secured freedom from sin and death. That's why when we see Jesus, we behold the author of salvation and the great high priest who identifies with us. So let me just ask you this question. We started with it. Do you see Jesus? today. Do you see Jesus? And if so, how do you see Him? Do you see Him as Savior, Lord of all, the source of salvation, King of the universe, brother to those who call on His name, and one who is for us and will walk with us through life? Do you see Jesus as faithful and merciful? Sometimes we think nobody on earth understands. But Jesus does. He was tempted in every way that we could possibly be, and He overcame it. He suffered in a human body, so He knows what hurts. 
But he learned obedience through that pain and suffering, and he is willing to walk with you through yours. And he's able to help. He's willing. We read it at the beginning of the service, the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah speaking these words on behalf of the Lord. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with singing. And Jesus, God, came into our very midst. And as the modern hymn reminds us, Savior, he can move the mountains. For my God is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus rose and conquered the grave. He's the author of salvation and our great high priest. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, as we finish these words, it's almost like we've just begun to scratch the surface of the depth that's there. And we pause and wonder we give thanks and praise for the great salvation that we have. We thank you that there is one who is the founder of our salvation, who suffered so that we could be sanctified, who suffered so that we could live, who was obedient, faithful, and is merciful, and is now our great high priest. Lord, help us this morning to see Jesus with eyes of faith, high and lifted up, exalted to the high position that you've placed in us, to be Lord of our lives, to be Lord of all creation, to be the great and merciful high priest who is faithful to you and your plans is able to walk with us in our pain and our hurts and our sufferings and our trials who calls us to walk the path and finish the race to him we look and we pray in his name amen just a moment Jackie's going to play quietly on the piano. It's our opportunity to respond to these words. We see Jesus. Do we see? Maybe for you, as you ask that question, do, do I see Jesus? Immediately it comes to your mind, well, well, no, I don't see him. But you can today. You can place your eyes on him and your faith in him and trust. Maybe it's well, I'm not really seeing him as clearly as I'd like to. My spiritual lenses are a bit clouded by busyness, by fear, by doubt, by sin. Oh, he can wash them away. He can get them cleaner than any substance. And Lord, just say, God, cleanse me. I repent, make me whole. Or maybe you see him in his proper place. And today, the prayer of your heart is, Lord, just help me to stay close to you, to stay the course, to finish the race, 
you to look to you when times of trials and sufferings come. He's faithful. And as you ask the Lord how you should respond, you can respond quietly in your place. You can stand. You can kneel. You can come to the front to to pray. If there's something you need to talk about or pray about, I'll be waiting at the front. Or maybe you grab someone next to you and say, hey, will you pray with me? But the piano is going to play quietly. And as we wait on the Lord, we'll respond as he speaks. Before we finish this morning, um, most of you know Ken and Michelle West will be leaving bright and early in the morning along with five others um, to, um, to join up with some folks that are already serving um, in Tanzania on a mission trip. And so um, I was, hopefully we can do two things before we go this morning. One, I just if y'all would like to say a word or two about how we can partner with you by using the prayer guide that you provided. And then also we want to take opportunity to pray for you before um, we send you out in the morning. So um, if one or both of you want to come and, and speak about that, and then after um, we'll gather around and pray as we send them out with the Lord's blessings and with his protection to, uh, to minister. makes me taller (laughs) Um, this has probably been the it's it's up there with one of the hardest to get ready for I mean it is the opposition has been brutal and the work to just get ready to go has been really really hard and to be honest I'm tired and getting on a plane knowing that I have a 27 hour flight time 
just to get to sort of where we're going. And then two more days of driving. I need the Lord's strength for starters. So, but with that said, the tra- traveling in Tanzania is it. Well, it's better, but it still is kind of dangerous. So, you know, it's re- it's really important for you to tra- pray for us for safety for when we travel and when we're driving. I mean, we totally trust our drivers and stuff, but I'm telling y'all. You think 35 is scary? You just never, you don't understand until you're on a two-lane road with goats and people and bicycles and motorcycles and big giant buses and you know, and they 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 don't pass like we do. <laughs> they just get over and there's they're it's in front of you and you're going, oh God, are they going to get over? <laughs> you know, it's scary. So anyway. Um, you want to add the work is actually going to be it's different than what we've been doing for the last several years we will be in these two areas um, doing evangelism we'll be sharing our testimonies we will probably be walking in villages in 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 the brush and the bush and visiting people in their homes and and their homes are not like ours. You people, pr- most of us here have bathrooms that are bigger than their houses, um, and they're dirt floors and um, mud walls, and they're, the people are beautiful. They they are so kind and so gracious, and they are so receptive. And you know that's what we want. It's just to share. What Rusty's been talking about just the love of God and that He loves us and He came and He died for us and that that's our purpose really on this trip is to help these ten churches get started and that is going and sharing the love of God with people and say hey this this is the answer. And pray for me to have words when I get there because, you know, I feel very unprepared. But that's okay. God is prepared. I don't have to be. Neil, the other thing is just getting over there. Um, Scott and Leslie are already there because they were there with the college group. So um, getting over there this year has fallen on us to get everybody there. So. that everything will go smoothly um, would be very much appreciated greatly. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, because Scott and them's trip, they, well, there's even still with our in-country flights, the airline keeps changing the flights. And, you know, when you have set times to be in locations, particularly for your international travel, well, you know, you can't change the flight to get to Dar, you know, from, I don't know, 3 o'clock or, you know, until after your, your international flight's already taken off. So he's had to change. He's had to buy new tickets. He's had to change flights. I mean, even on the ground over there with both teams. 
And so that's additional costs that are not budgeted. And I'm sure stress. Yeah, and our, yes, pray for our luggage to get there because that's a deal. So when you have so many connections. Well, if you're able and you want to, let's gather around um, Ken and Michelle and we'll, we'll pray over them as the Lord sends them out. And there are, there are prayer guides with, with pictures um, that are available on the table out there as we... Uh, Father, we are grateful for those that you call and send. And Lord, we thank you that in the calling and the sending, it comes um, with the power and the authority of your name. And so they they go out not as Kenny Michelle West, but they go out as representatives of the Lord Jesus. And that comes not only with responsibility, but also with the assurance of your equipping the assurance of your provision for their every need, the assurance of your protection and of your safety and for their for their welfare. And so, Lord, we thank you that every detail about the trip is under your watch. And so we pray for safe travel to the airport, safe journeys as they go from place to place, for flights to leave on time, to arrive on time, for safety on the roads, for just a keenness and an awareness as they operate to be aware of circumstances. We thank you that, God, it's not their words that they'll speak, but you'll speak your words through them and that you'll use them as bold witnesses from house to house, from village to village. And we thank you that as they're part of this opportunity to be a, a small part of the Great Commission and to help these ten churches get started, that you would guide them. Lord, give them the words. Give them supernatural rest and strength. Help them to operate in the joy of the Lord. And we stand firm in the name of Jesus against all the hindrances and the attacks the enemy would bring to bring discouragement, to bring doubt, to, to cause delay in travel so that the work would be hindered. But Lord, we thank you that your word will not be hindered. It will not return void and that it is powerful. And so, Lord, use these servants. Use Ken and Michelle, the others that are traveling with them along with Scott and Leslie to be your servants in this place for this time for your glory. We thank you for your provision, your protection, and we thank you for your power. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So while you're returning to your place, the worship team is going to take their place here up front and and lead us in a closing song. So once you get back to your place, if you want to remain standing, and if you're not standing already. If you want to join in standing, we'll sing together, and after we finish singing, um, you'll be dismissed. <laughs>